When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass on YouTube. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday evening. Alex, the season is dwindling. It feels like we're getting into the the last couple of weeks here, although we have the extra week this week this year, so it does feel a little bit like a, a couple more games to go, a little bit longer than usual, but certainly it's crunch time. It, it's essentially one game playoffs here for the Patriots the rest of the way besides maybe next week against Jacksonville, which should be easy peasy to a degree, but this week against Buffalo, they can obviously wrap things up before that week 18 against Miami, but even seating wise, it feels like that game's going to matter in some capacity. So really we're, we're in the playoff mode already. It kind of feels like for the Patriots. Yeah, this is it. You know, when we talk about down the stretch, you know, down the stretch this, down the stretch that, we've been talking about since March, they can draft a guy who can help them down the stretch here. We're at the stretch. This is the stretch. There's no more down the stretch. There's just now. So I will say that Jacksonville game is looking a little trappy. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that next week. I'm not saying they're going to lose or anything, but um, yeah, no, this is... This is it. This is I, I had Mike Chiardi on my podcast on on 985thesportshub.com on Wednesday, and we briefly talked about, you know, when's the last time there was a one o'clock game of this magnitude? Yeah. Right? It would have to be pre, pre-flex because normally this game gets moved. I'm frankly shocked it didn't get moved. Yeah. Um, and this is hands down, and I and I I put this caveat on it before. I count the Bucks game as its own thing. Yeah. That's that's not included in this. This is the biggest game of the post Brady era in New England because the Bucks game was like that was about that wasn't about football right. directly like that game ultimately meant nothing. It was a week four game against the NFC team. This is essentially a division championship. I compare this game. This game to me feels like a college football game. like like there's college football atmosphere around this um, where you have a true rivalry, a rivalry that's building. Um, you're, you're, you know, you know, you're playing for the division, but you're also realistically playing for a lot more, right? Like when Michigan and Ohio state met a couple weeks ago back then. So I love the atmosphere around this game. And then it's Christmas week and, and, you know, they're coming off a Saturday game and everything's just so weird. Uh, it's it's awesome. And yeah, I know I said that week 13, that, you know, this game hadn't happened yet. That was the (laughs) biggest game of the post Brady era. I think maybe we've gone a little over the top with it. You know, but it, it really has felt each week like like the games are building in significance. I promise you we will not be saying that next week. If if I say next week that it's the biggest game of the post-Brady era, Evan Evan can hit me with a shoe and we'll put it on Twitter or something. Okay. Uh this is this is unless Miami becomes winning in, this should be the biggest regular season game of the post-Brady era for some time. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing apart about it is is that the path for the Patriots or the bills to win the division. If they lose this game is basically non-existent, right? So week 13 Buffalo loses that game. There's still some time to make up some ground. And here we are in week 16. And if they win this game in new England, then they do have a really solid chance in the inside track on winning the AFC East. So this is like you said, it's a conference title game. It's the sec championship. It's that type of atmosphere because 99% chance I think is what football outsiders puts it at that the team that wins this game is going to win the AFC East that that's what we're looking at right now uh, in terms of win probabilities and stuff like that so that's the magnitude of the game we know how big of a game this is for the Patriots everything that's built up to this point with this season and the Mac Jones draft pick not that Obviously, we have a long way to go with Mac, and and year one is not not it, right? There's a whole right. a whole window here with Mac Jones, at least four years, if not more. But the problem that or the thing is is that makes it such a big game and, and such a big magnitude is that they have made in such a short period of time they have made so much progress with this team to get to nine and five 
and to get into this position, to go on the seven-game winning streak, to have the offseason that they had not only in the draft but also in free agency and truly rebuild this team in an expedited way in one offseason to put itself back in the top of the AFC East and potentially the AFC as a conference in general, it would feel very deflating for them to go ahead and with a two-game lead in the division from Week 13's win in, in Monday night in Buffalo to then lose the division at the end of the season, they'll bounce back from it. I'm not saying it's going to bury Mac Jones for the rest of his career and it's all over at that point, but it would be very deflating to make all that progress so quickly and have it all come crashing down. I think it's going to create this interesting dynamic, and I'm not the first person to make this comparison, right? Matt Dolph, Ty Anderson, who I work with at 98.5, they've been on this for weeks. It's going to kind of create the dynamic you have around Tuka Rask where to get it like sort of not exactly, but to get to this point as impressive as it is. And, you know, we have to see how the game plays out too. Like, I don't know that they're necessarily going to fall short because of Mac It's going to fall on him. And I think you'll also get this interesting dichotomy of, you know, is it a disappointment? And I think in the micro it is, because yeah. they had the division in hand and then to fall apart, like if they lose, but at the same time, I'll go back to something I've said since training camp. This is essentially one long preseason. They're in a three to four year win. And I'm saying this now so that after the game, I don't sound like I'm making excuses. They're essentially in a three to four year window with the way they drafted the guys they signed. If this is the start, right? If the, if, if the foundation they build is 10, 11 wins, and they're only, and I really think they're only going up from there. Like, I think this is the worst iteration we will see of this Patriots court. I truly believe that whether they're together for three or four years, I think this is the worst, this iteration of this Patriots core will play. So if they leave that, that foundation at 10 wins, that's impressive. But at the same time, yeah, it is going to be, you know, they left something on the table. And I think yeah, the story of this season, unless they win the Super Bowl, the story of this season you, we won't be able to tell it at the end of the season. I think it will be three, four, five years down the line. We'll have a better idea because, you know, if they go on and they win a Super Bowl in 2022 or 2023, 2021 becomes that foundation. It becomes the year they built all of it, right? We, we hear people who are on the 2001 Patriots talk about, even though the ending was disappointing, 11 losses, how important that 2000 season was and how much they learned. Even um, predating that, the, the Parcells Carroll year. Or even, of- yeah establishing Ty Law and Lawyer Malloy and Teddy Bruschi so, and William McGinnis. Yeah. I think this year has that kind of potential at the same time. If this core never gets one, then, and look, we're, we're going way further down the road than we need to for this week, but I just want to yeah. set the stage before we get to the game, before the narrative is already set. Um, you know, if they don't win one after this, then it kind of becomes, well, was this their best chance? I don't think it will be, but I expect people to say that. Okay, so let's get into the actual matchup. That's enough of the big picture uh, outlook in this game and in the Patriots rebuild and everything in general. Let's get into the matchups. And I think the one theme of the week, uh, one more abstract thought here before we truly get into the X's and O's and the nitty gritty is the weather, obviously, right? The last time out, it was a complete windstorm nor'easter type conditions up in buffalo it was a disaster of a weather game it affected both sides it affected the kicking game we've talked to the patriots players all week long even bill belichick and josh mcdaniels talking about how this is truly going to be a different game it's going to take on a different form and my question that i want to pose to you alex is how concerned are you that this is going to be a little bit more of an open game and there's going to be a little bit more on the passing game emphasis for on both directions right Josh Allen's going to have better conditions to throw in Matt Jones is going to have better conditions to throw in but there's going to be more on the Patriots pass defenses play and more on Mac Jones and the Patriots pass offenses play and they're not going to be able to win this game like it's 1937 again they're not going to be able to win it running the ball 45 times and only throwing three. They might win it running 45 times and throwing it 15, right? I'm not saying right. that they that they don't, cool. they can't do that, but they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more than they did last time. That's for sure. Yeah, but if they run 60 offensive plays, something either went horribly right or horribly wrong. Um, right. I will say, everybody's talking about, you know, no weather, no weather. It, there is some weather for this game. I'm looking yeah, at the forecast I mean, it's right December now. in Foxborough, so it's not perfect. That's for sure supposed to snow Friday and Saturday. And then there's going to be freezing rain Sunday morning. And 
look, that's not 50 mile an hour wins, but that's not nothing either. And we talked about after that last game, how much better the Patriots adjusted to the weather. And again, it's not 50 mile an hour wins, but there still is going to be weather to adjust to. And we know the Patriots have the advantage there. Back to your original question, you know, how worried am I that the Bills are able to move the, uh, the ball a little bit more? Um, I, I go back to what I said before that week 13 game. It all comes down to if the Patriots score first for me. I yeah. think, because first off, I think the Bills are, I think the Bills took that loss very personally. And that's a double-edged sword. So, you know, on one hand, and, and Patriots players have talked this up all week, like they're coming in with a purpose. They're coming in. They know exactly how close that last game was. They know that that necessarily wasn't a true reflection of them as a team, the Bills, and, and, and they're coming in with a purpose. The other side of that is, are they going to be too gassed up? Are they going to try to prove things they don't need to prove? If the Patriots get up early and really put the pressure on them, and I, I don't remember if I talked about this on Tuesday or if I talked about it uh, you know, on the Sports Hub at some point, but basically all the pressures on the Bills in this game going in. Before anything starts, all the pressure's on the Bills. If you score first, they might get really sloppy because the Bills, as we've seen, are not built to play from behind. So the other, you know, the other side of that is if you let them get comfortable, well, now there's no other element that can snap them out of the game when they start to get in a rhythm. So I I think the the weather element or the lack thereof, like everything in this game is just compounded by who scores first. I think that's all that that's what this game entirely comes down to is who scores first, you know, maybe if there's a field goal, we'll call it the first touchdown. Right. Yeah. But I, both of these teams are built to play from ahead and it, you know, I think all these little elements can be used to either team's advantage if they get ahead, like they want. I know yeah. that's a total cop out answer, but it's, the no, right it's, answer, a, so I I think it's, it's kind of where I wanted to go with it, honestly, is because I, something that I've been working on and, and, and pulling stats for today is, the idea that the Patriots identity is to win in the trenches, right? To win in the line of scrimmage where they still clearly have a very distinct advantage on Buffalo on both sides of the ball, especially even more so maybe now on defense because the Bills offensive line is all sorts of banged up. They got guys on the COVID list. Deion Dawkins, their starting left tackle, who's their best offensive lineman is still on the COVID list right now. Spencer Brown flipped over to left left tackle last week and was an absolute disaster. So they have a clear, distinct advantage in the trenches. And the two themes that you look at, the Patriots in their wins versus the Patriots in their losses have some really distinct trends of when this goes wrong, they lose the game. Or if this goes right, they win the game. The, the biggest thing is obviously first quarter point differential, right? When they get up to the a lead early and they can play from ahead and they can set the tone that way on the line of scrimmage, everything else falls into place. Now, in terms of the trenches, you look at their rushing success rate, for example, on offense, but also their rushing success rate in terms of stopping the run, all the five losses other than the Dallas game, the other four one losses have something in common. And that is the opponent had a very efficient rushing attack against the Patriots in those games. And particularly at the end of the game, right? You have the dolphins, you have new Orleans and obviously Indianapolis closing out the game on the ground and closing right. out the game with their running game. Similarly, because they get behind in some of these games that they've lost and they have to throw their way back into the game pressure starts to mount on Mac Jones. And I mean, literal pressure, like he's throwing more under pressure in those games, 35% pressure rate in the losses, 23% pressure rate in the wins. So you see a lot of kind of splits here where playing from ahead and being able to establish balance on offense and making the other team, the, uh, the opponent one dimensional, that's their formula. That's the way that they're going to win games all year long, no matter who they're, if it's Buffalo, if it's Tennessee, if it's Indianapolis, if it's Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. If the Patriots can play well in the first quarter, allow themselves to run the ball for all four quarters, and they stop the run and make the opponent one-dimensional on the other side, they are winning all of those games at a very high rate. So I think that that's the key in this game, regardless of the weather is still to stick to your core identity of being the stouter and tougher team on the line of scrimmage. That's where you have a distinct advantage against Buffalo. And that's where your advantage needs to be 
right? And you need to right. make sure that you dominate in that phase of the game. And I think you hit on it perfectly where it prevents them from being one-dimensional, right? The Patriots, when they score first this year, they're five and one. When they don't score first, they're four and four. Right. So it's it and it, it, it comes with the rookie quarterback. Like we talked about this going back to when Mac was named the starter. It just it if if teams know he's going to throw, he hasn't faced he really didn't face anything like that at Alabama. He just yeah. didn't. And it's not about he's not good enough, right? It's not a matter of, oh, Mac Jones can't do this. I like I'm not saying he'll never be able to do it, but you just there's things he's a rookie. There's going to be things he's never seen before. And I think once teams don't have to worry about the run, they can get into some really complicated coverages in the past. And it's just a learning experience for him. And it's a good learning experience. It absolutely is, but it's just the kind of thing where you always want to make life easier on your quarterback, regardless of it's rookie Mac Jones or peak Tom Brady. And the way the Patriots are built just when they get behind and they have to chase points, it's not making things easy on the quarterback. Yeah. And they usually figure things out defensively, but then you also have that one drive in those three games. I mentioned the dolphins, the saints, and then last week against Indianapolis, it's one drive and that's all it takes, right? You can't stop the run on one drive. Week, it goes all the way back to week one when they had Miami backed up inside their own five yard line. They needed to get the, the stop to get the ball back to Mac Jones and Miami threw the ball once, but basically ran themselves off the line. Right. And were right. able to then kneel, kneel out the clock. You look at New Orleans, same thing, 20 to 13 in that game. They ran the ball right down the field and scored a touchdown to make a 27-13 game over. Jonathan Taylor breaks off the 67-yarder, game over. So at some point in time, what we're seeing with this defense is that the dam eventually has broken late in the game. After they adjust to the early early game onslaught by a team, they figure it out, they level off. They are good for two and a half quarters, two quarters. And then by the midway through the fourth quarter, the dam has broken on the defense. And that's they're not giving Mac that opportunity to have that signature drive. He hasn't really gotten that signature drive put in his hands just yet, truly, except against Houston. Right. Well, against Houston. I would I mean, what what's the touchdown throw to Kendrick Bourne against Dallas? So I guess that that, that was <laughs> close. If they win that game, right? But I think right. my my point is is that in Miami, New Orleans, and Indianapolis, and those three losses in particular, they had an opportunity to get him the ball back in a one-score game, right? They, they right. could have gotten the ball back to him at 20-17 to 17 on Saturday night against the Colts, but the defense broke, and they couldn't get the ball back to him. And at some point in time, hopefully we see that opportunity. That's I just, I, I, we, Everybody's out there, I think, in the narrative right now, Alex, is that Matt can't do it. And my argument would be, that Mac really hasn't had the chance to do it, right? I mean, he's come close, but you also don't want your team to be down 20 points. So it, it's right. a double-edged sword. You don't want to have to make him mount the comeback, but he's mounted comebacks and they haven't exactly given him the opportunity of two minutes left, down by three points. You're starting at your at the 25, go on a drive, right? Give right. us the game-winning drive. He he did in Tampa, against Tampa, I should say. He got him into field goal range and not to, not to bash Nick Folk. It was a 55-yard field goal or whatever it was. Right. The field goal just doinks and doesn't go in, and, and they missed that opportunity. But that was the only time that they truly had a, a, an opportunity to go ahead and, and PFR, for pro football reference, they track those game-winning drives, right? Right. And, and right now, Mac has won against Houston, but they haven't really given him that opportunity to get another one yet. See, I just, I, I don't believe that. I think that doubt, da- you know, the Dallas one was what would have been a game winning. Like we saw him in that setting. They sure. didn't ultimately win the game, but he doesn't know they're going to go on to lose it. Right. He's they, they gave it, they gave it, to be fair. They, they probably gave it to him more in overtime, honestly. Like they had, and I'm not blaming him. Nelson Aguilar drops that ball and that right. kind of ruined that drive. But they, and if you want to talk about the Dallas game, they also did give him a chance in overtime. But again, that goes back to my point, like through no fault, he's been put in these situations and he's done all you can ask of them. They haven't turned into wins, but it's not his fault, right? The yeah. Dallas game, the Colts, like the Colts game. All right. He didn't get the final drive to tie the game up, but he brought, he got him back from down 20, yeah. like, you know, to within one score. We're not going to catch. Does only the last drive count in terms of can Mac Jones lead a team back, right? To get from down 21 to 14, that has nothing to do with Mac Jones. To get from down 14 to seven, that has nothing to do with Mac Jones. It's just the seven to the tie, right? Like that, that's why I'd push back on it. It's almost, you know, and the other thing I've seen anti Brady people use this seriously. I'm going to use it sarcastically. 
you know, if Mac Jones is so great, he shouldn't be leading fourth quarter game winning drives. If Mac Jones is so great, the Patriots should be comfortably ahead in the fourth quarter in every game. Um, so that you know, let's let's move past this because we right. uh, we haven't even like talked a, a minute of X's and O's really yet so far. About we did a little bit. So let let's stick with Mac against the Bills offense here for a second. I mentioned they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more in this game. I still think that they're going to have advantages in the run game. I still think that we're going to see them run the football pretty well, be able to pull guards and do some of the things that they did in the last game. Uh, I don't know if we'll have a 70 yard crack toss, but we're going to have some, some similarities there. You look at some of the tape against Tampa Bay. It was one of the ones I really focused on this week to see a somewhat similar offense schematically, stylistically uh, going up against this Buffalo defense. And Leonard Fournette had himself a game in that one as well. He had the 47 yard touchdown, 5.9 yards per carry, a lot of pullers in that game for Tampa Bay too, right? We're going to pull the guard, right. uh, we're gonna pull them through. And they had a lot of difficulty blocking that up. I look at this second level of the Bills defense and talking about a little bit more about the pla- the passing game as well. I look at the second level of this Bill def- Bills defense with Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano and see uh, two players that quite frankly, I think are a little bit overrated at, at what they do. Uh, the main reason being they are very, very, undisciplined players they can be influenced out of gaps they can be influenced out of passing lanes uh, you talk about uh, all these schemes with pullers or uh, like split zone with the safe block coming across the formation these guys are running in the wrong direction constantly right yeah. they, they, they're just see ball get ball type of linebackers so if you give them these false keys and you give them things to influence them in certain directions they are very vulnerable and i look at this passing game putting Milano and Edmonds in as much conflict as physically possible in the passing game, I think is where Josh McDaniels is going to start and where he's going to end with this game plan, because those two guys can be had. And if you look at that game against Tampa Bay, it was a lot of crossing routes. It was a lot of levels concepts. It was a lot of high low where they hold them with the underneath curl route and then run the seam, you know, things like that. And they were able to influence those linebackers and basically put them where they wanted to put them. And it was open passing lanes down the field. I think this Bills defense is very structured, even without Trey White in the back end. I wouldn't try to throw it deep on them. I wouldn't try to throw it outside the numbers. I think the area to attack for the Patriots, as it, it pretty much always is every single week, is right there between the numbers and, and go after those linebackers. And I mean, you know, to go to linebackers like you're talking about, boomer bust, isn't that the, the Bills are, it's really interesting. The Bills are constructed this way where all of their players are pretty much boomer bust players. They want the big play and they'll sacrifice giving something up to get it. Whereas the Patriots are the polar opposite. But, you know, I think when you attack those guys, you talk about putting them in conflict. We remember the games Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson had. The Patriots tried to get creative with some other carries too. Nelson Aguilar had a carry in that game. Kendrick Bourne had a carry in that game. Johnny Smith had a carry in that game. So this is where it hurts, right? Aguilar and Bourne, are they going to play? Those are the two. You're not really running end arounds to Jacoby Myers. Maybe it's a good week for him to throw a pass, but you're not really, you know, you're not really running end arounds to him. Yeah. Um, maybe that maybe that makes this the John who breakout game that we've been waiting for. Maybe this yeah. is the game where, you know, do they have a player? Uh, let me ask you this. Do they have a player on their roster? Like in theory, I, I know he hasn't necessarily been the guy that we expect him to be this year, but in theory, do they have a player on their roster? Who's better for putting a linebacker in conflict than John Smith? I think the, what you hit on the, with the design carries by people that are not running backs, yeah. it, it could be really big in this game. I've saw, I, I saw a lot. Uh, the Bills defense is a zone heavy coverage defense, right? And when right. you start motioning guys across the formation before the ball is snapped, you start to get those guys, those linebackers in particular, middle of the field players to bump over, right? They see the motion and all of a sudden they are going uh, from the A gap to the B gap, or they're just kind of sliding over or being influenced with their eyes to look at the motion and look at the eye candy. So in a lot of ways, I feel like this game plan, at least early, because maybe you don't want to overplay this hand, right? You don't want to go too much into it. But I think in the beginning of the game, the Patriots might have a lot of advantages of the last game being in Buffalo's heads, right? Where they're thinking to themselves, we cannot get run on again like we did in week 13. So that is when you start 
the smoke and mirrors, right? You start the motions, you start the jet motion, you start some of the different things in the backfield actions, you start handing the ball off and play faking, right? And, and, and fake the heck out of them and give them a bunch of different things to look at and try to get them to over aggressively play the run and see, because we talked about it at the beginning of the show that the most important thing in this game, and for the most part, most games for the Patriots is to get ahead early. And right. if they can get a, the best way in my mind still, and I, this is a little bit mathy for you, so don't yell at me, but the best way to get ahead still is to pass your way into a lead, right? Is to, is to aggressively come out with the passing game. I think in a lot of ways in this game, they will be able to have some advantages in the pass game because that last matchup is in Buffalo's heads a lot. And they're saying, we're going to put eight guys in the box. We're going to play you with the single high safety up top. And we're going to make Mac Jones beat us. Well, here comes the play action. Here comes the misdirection. Here comes some bootleg concepts. Here comes some eye candy. You're thinking it's going over here, but we're actually going over the top, right? And all these different types of things. I think Johnu plays a factor into that. Obviously, hopefully Kendra Bourne's back for this game, but if it's Jacoby Myers or Hunter Henry up the seams or over the crossing routes in the middle of the field, I think all those types of things are factors in it. But when you w- watch this Bills team on tape, throw out the Newton Carolina game because it doesn't count because it's Cam and, and he's so limited now. Look at the Patriots game and look at the Tampa game. When teams go under center, they are single high. They play single high against under center and they put the extra hat in the box because they know they can't stop the run out of too high, right? They're going to get kill, right. killed if they try to play a man short in the box. So they bring that extra guy down. Well, that should give them some advantages in the pass game. And that's when you start to bring out your single high beaters, your crossing routes, uh, your flood concepts to cover three, you know, things like that. And I think those opportunities will be there for them early. You get out to a lead with the passing game and that's when you close with the running game late, right? You come back to the running right. game in the second half. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of what they what they did in Buffalo? It felt like, and and not entirely because they weren't passing the ball, but in terms of the kind of runs they were calling, they emptied the bag to get that 8-0 lead, and then yeah. they just went bread and butter. Like right. so, so that yeah, I think that's a good game plan. The other thing I'd say, I mean, you're talking about, and and these two aren't, you know, you can you can have both these, but you're you're throwing out all these terms, pulling guards, G lead, blah blah yada yada, draws and counters. Draws and count like like I'm not saying they can't be overly complicated, but I I think it you know to just kind of bring it down a level. Draws and counters. You talk about two linebackers that fly up the field. I think those two you know remember Super Bowl 36 or whatever game it was in in 01. Slants and in cuts. Slants and in cuts. That's the game. Yeah. Draws and counters. Draws and counters. That's the game. Get them. The the thing about Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, assuming both play, is that the first step so explosive with yeah. both of them, right? So if if you can get Edmonds, Milano, whoever it is on that defense, if you can get them to misstep on their first step, like that's part of the reason Damian Harris's run happened. Don't get me wrong. It was blocked great, but I can't remember who the linebacker was. But again, with that pulling guard, the linebacker oversteps and that was it. You know, it, it, it set up that hole in the blocks fit and, and, and Harris is off. So draws, counters, running off sweeps. Oh, I'd love to see the pop pass finally return this week, but just get them off on that first step because I think if you get them yeah. off on that first step, it's going to make everything so much easier. And you don't need to get overly complicated. I don't think the Patriots need to stray too much from what their strengths are. That's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. You talk about sometimes a team in this spot, you got to do something new or, or you got to, you know, you got to really pull out all the widgets or everything. I don't think the Patriots have to do that this week. Not entirely yeah. anyway. I know we get on Josh McDaniels a little bit on this show at times, but the one thing that I think that he's really good at as a play caller is calling complimentary plays to their staple concepts, right? He makes everything look pretty similar, but then he has a little bit something different in the bag for you. So I think one of the things that you look at, okay, so crack toss was effective against them last time. So let's give them the same exact formation. Let's give them that they usually motion a receiver into the tight to the formation to get that better angle on the crack block there. So let's give all that window dressing and then let's fake the toss and bootleg it the other way. We've seen Mac do that before, right? Where he, where they fake the toss one direction, they bootleg them out, they cross the tight end across the field with them. Mm. That that's going to be they'll get 40 yards on that play on the opening script if they run that on the opening script. They're, the Buffalo is not going to they're going to play overplay that crack toss so badly 
if you hit them with one of those types of plays, I'm telling you, it's going to gain 100 yards. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered all season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And then you also look at, you know, G lead was a big one for them, as you said, right? Pulling right. guards in general was big for them. So, run Charles their their stable play one of their stable plays Charles Barkley uh you you pull the guard and then you hit the play action pass behind the linebacker level you pull a front side guard against this Bills linebacker core right now based off of how successful that play has been against them they are going to come right down to that puller right they are going to fit that puller and they're going to try to hammer him right behind his ear right and I think these are the types of things that they're going to try to think about early on in this game and then come back to what worked in week 13 once you're up 10 nothing, right? When, right? Once you have right. that lead, and then you can start running the ball and doing those other things. But I'm telling you, the play action passes this week, the window dressing, uh, designing plays that look exactly the same as the running plays that they ran in week 13, but making them play action passes, uh, those are, I think, are going to be the things that are going to really give the Bills a lot of problems because they're going to be thinking about it. They're going to have game planned all week long to make sure they don't get beat the same exact way. And you can't you can't game plan for everything, right? You right. can't prepare for everything. You can't be ready to stop the run and ready to start stop play action. It's pretty difficult to do both of those things. So another thing Josh McDaniels does well, and it's it's kind of along the same line that you said. He's good at setting up plays, right? They'll give us right. the same look th- three or four times in a row where it's the same thing, and the play might not even work, but he sticks with it. And then the fifth time he calls it, they deviate from it, and it, it it hits big. I think this is a big game for those kind of plays. If I can give you a pitch, this is why I looked all excited about 30 seconds ago. Yeah. If I can give you a pitch, I don't know if you watched the uh, the, the Frisco Bowl with UTSA. Do you think Dude, I watched the Frisco Bowl with UTSA? So there was a really interesting play in that game, and you made me think of it because I wonder if the Patriots could do something with it. You have to run it right to left, right? They can only run it on one side of the hash. But basically, I don't remember if if – the Roadrunners did it with wide receiver, tight end, but I think this would be great for John Smith, right? So they come out, you know, in that bunch right, yeah. one wide receiver out wide to the left. They motion him in off left tackle, quarterback under center, right? Under center, single back, gets the pit, gets the handoff, fakes the pitch to the right. People start pulling right. At the last second, he pulls that ball off, comes back left. It's a bubble screen to the tight end on the left side. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the uh, the Bucks set up. A you bubble. like that? Yeah, the Bucks set up a tight end screen to, I think it was to Gronk, and it had a lot more room than it looked like. And I can't remember. Yeah, who, I remember that play. I can't remember who beat the block, but somebody on Buffalo, it might have been Edmonds, uh, made a great play to beat a block in space and, and make sure that that thing didn't go for a touchdown because it was set up to go for a, lo- a long, long time. So I do wonder if they pull out, again, you know, like we've been saying, fake it full fake to the right, and then you come back left, and there's Johnny Smith on the little screen. Fake toss bubble screen, baby. Right. Give it yeah, I mean, all these types of things are, are I think, are gold and are things that we'll, we'll probably see uh, on Sunday. Uh, let's move over to Josh Allen, though. I want to have a good Josh Allen discussion because I've watched Josh Allen now a lot this season, obviously. I played two matchups, especially this close together. I've watched a decent amount, probably four or five, six games of Josh Allen so far this year. And Bills fans love to hype this guy up. And his stats are good, right? His stats are still up there uh, with the rest of the league leaders in terms of quarterback play, passing touchdowns, things like that. Not a pro bowler, though. He's a great athlete. He can definitely run with the ball. We're going to talk about that in a second and how that changes the equation here a little bit. But if he's this great, awesome quarterback that, that everybody in Buffalo and even people outside of Buffalo like to claim that he is, here is a game against a rookie quarterback with a division on the line he should be the best player on the field on on sunday afternoon right he should be if he's as good as everybody thinks he is then he should be the mvp of this game 
on Sunday afternoon. And I got to be honest with you, I think the one thing that really – I think there's some things that favor Buffalo in this game. I honestly do. None of them are Josh Allen. I honestly think yeah. Josh Allen might be more of a problem in this game for Buffalo than somebody that's going to go out there and help him. And the main reason why is I have never seen and, – and maybe I need to watch more of like Mahomes when he struggles because sometimes people talk about this with Mahomes too. I have never seen a quarterback – more reluctant to take the five-yard pass that's wide open right in front of him, trying to hold the football in the pocket to throw it down the field. It is – you play a soft cover two zone against this guy, and you can give him the little five-yard hitch all game long, and he won't take it. Maybe he takes it once or twice, but he won't beat it, right? He He won't won't take it enough. He won't keep going to it over and over and over again to the point that it burns you. Where, where, you know, compared to, well, just to cut in real quick, Mac Jones' favorite line is, you don't want to go break trying to make, you don't want to go broke trying to make a profit, exactly. right? Right. He won't take the profit. There was so many opportunities. I posted a couple of them on Twitter from the Patriots game in week 13, got Bill's Mafia in my DMs and everything, right? Of him just. Oh, they're lovely. Having a wide open Emmanuel Sanders against cover two underneath the defense, nobody around him within 10 yards of him and he's standing there in the pocket looking at the vertical right waiting for the vertical to see if it's going to come open so he can throw it down the field you saw that against even carolina his box score against carolina looks okay right three touchdown passes but when you really go ahead and break that game down i don't think he played particularly well the only game that i've seen him play well in the last month or so in the games that i've watched of him was in the second half against tampa bay And the main reason why he played well in the second half against Tampa Bay is because he was using his legs so much. It wasn't because of his arm. So I I really think that Josh Allen has regressed a ton, a ton this year. And maybe some of that, I know you're going to go on your, your uh, victory lap here in a second. I, I, I went on a couple of bills podcasts this week and I, I I flipped it on them and I started hosting and I said, I got to ask you a question. What's going on with Josh Allen, right? Why, why is he broken? Uh, because this is somebody that is holding the ball too long in the pocket, not getting through his reads, bailing himself out by making these ridiculous out of structure plays, which are great and flashy and everything like that, but it's not consistent offense. Everybody got all goo goo and gaga and crazy over a touchdown pass. He threw to Gabriel Davis against Carolina in the back of the end zone. Well, yeah, but he waited 10 seconds to get to it, right? I mean, he's standing there and he's running around for a while. And sure, there's only a couple guys on the planet that can make that throw, but I don't care if he can make that throw. I'd much rather the quarterback that makes the first read that's open instead of the quarterback that's got to stand there for six seconds and circle around. And go get has got it right, right on in the chat. All these people that I've talked to in Buffalo this week have blamed the offensive line. They say this offensive line is no good he doesn't trust his line he's skittish behind it as a result and we talked about this after they beat them in week 13 how skittish and tentative and happy feet that Allen had behind the line and if that's the case then that's the case and maybe I can give him that caveat but that problem has not solved itself in Buffalo they are still a terrible offensive line they still have a ton of weaknesses on their offensive line looking at their tackle situation they're probably going to start spencer brown and daryl williams again two tackles that have no chance against matt judon and kyle van noy mitch moore so their, their starting center got absolutely destroyed by devon godsha in the last matchup right godsha had 10 tackles you know he was all over the place in that game and morris had no chance at blocking him whatsoever so the patriots still have distinct advantages on the trenches on the defensive side of the football. And if Josh Allen's going to be broken down by pressure, then the Patriots are going to have a hell of a time with him on Sunday. Yeah. So you got into a lot there. Let me, I want to make sure I hit on, on everything yes. um, in terms that, of like, that was my Josh Allen rant. I had, no, it was good. It was good. I agree with most of what you said. I, I would say the, I'll start here. The one thing I'd push back on a little bit, you know, there's some things in this game that favor the bills. Josh Allen isn't one of them. Josh Allen's arm. Isn't one of them. I think what yeah. Allen adds as a runner. Yeah is certainly something to keep an eye. Like one of the things I thought Patriots defense played great the first game, you know, even with the wind as a factor, I thought the defense played great. One thing they didn't do as well as they probably could have was stop Allen from rolling to his right. That's where he wants to go. You're not going to keep him in the pocket on every play. You're just not like, it's not going to happen, but if he's going to roll out, you need to force him to his left. They need to force him to his left. So big game for Kyle Van in that sense. 
Um, the rest of it, Josh Allen plays quarterback like I play NCAA 14 on Xbox. And I don't, have you ever played that game or not? Like, I know we've talked I, about it. I've played it. some of the NCAAs. I don't know about 14 so, exactly. NCAA but. 14, there's basically two plays. Like, if you're, if you're playing, like, and you're not super hard about it, there's two plays you run. Four verts and read option. Yeah. And isn't that kind of what Josh Allen's doing now? Yeah. In the video game, it works. And guess what? When I play FCS, FCS Northeast, or when I play UMass or Old Dominion, I put up 100 points, right? You know, humble brag there. Whoa, I'm really good at a video game. Um, when I get to the national championship, I play Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. It's a little bit tougher. And I feel like that's, you know, the reason I'm saying this is not to brag about my prowess on a video game that's 10 years old. It's because that is kind of where the Bills are right now. And I feel like unless they make a change, this is who this iteration of the Bills team is set to be. They yeah. are entirely boomer bust. Top of the roster to the bottom. Everybody's just constantly hunting for the big play. Why take the five-yard check down when you can throw the ball 50 yards down the field? Why be disciplined and, and, and fill the hole, you know, against the run when you and, and stop it at a one or two-yard gain when you can shoot that gap and try to go for the tackle for a loss? And they're so talented, the Bills are, like just raw talent, that they can get away with that at times. The Panthers game's a perfect example where just being as physically talented as they are, they could get away with it and win pretty comfortably. When you face the Chiefs, right? When you face what was a really, because I go back to their big games, the Chiefs, the AFC Championship last year, what was a very good Texans team in 2019 that they faced in the playoffs. When it's the Patriots this year, right? When it's Tampa Bay, you just don't have the room for error to play like that. Yeah. And that to me is the downfall. And look, maybe Josh Allen will learn to figure this out. Maybe the rest of the roster will learn to figure it out. But they're just, I don't know that that's the mentality. And it comes from the coach down. I don't know that the mentality is to play controlled football. I think yeah. they want to play out of control football. It's how they believe they play their best. And nobody, and look, they're not the first team to play like this. The early Patrick Mahomes chiefs, this is what they did. And yeah. they've evolved since, but that's absolutely what they were. And, and they've come a long way, but nobody feasts on those teams more than Bill Belichick. Yeah. Nobody knows how to, cause it's not the, consistent, right? You have to consistently right. string plays together to beat a Belichick defense and the, the scramble mode playground stuff's not consistent. Right. And those teams, as long as you hang around, and this goes back to the overarching point of the show, which has been don't get behind early. Those teams, as long as you don't, because they, they want to get up ahead big and coast. That's part of the reason they're they're hunting those big leads and they're hunting those big plays is because yeah. they know that they don't, you know, they can't do it methodically. Right. If you keep it close, right, they're going to make a mistake. Yeah. That's just the way these teams are built. The mistake will happen. The Patriots need to capitalize on it. But, I, you know, I think a lot of what you could say about Josh Allen and his game is true about the Bills as a whole. Yeah. And it's just, if you're patient and you hang around and you can go blow for blow for them, they'll give you the game if you give them an opportunity. It's just yeah. a matter of can you get there. And, like, that's what I think it comes down to for the Patriots and Josh Allen. Again, in terms of this week, him running scares me more than him throwing. You talked about, you know, he won't go underneath. He won't take that five, seven yard route and just pick up the yards and move on. He won't do that in a normal setting. Now he's lost Cole Beasley, who's his guy in that spot. He might be more reluctant to do that this week than, you know, any other game in general. Yeah. And I think that's something the Patriots have to capitalize on. Yeah. I, I, I think there's, I was, there's my Josh Allen rant. Yeah, no, I think, I think we're both hitting on it. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety, or reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too, and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insa founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, Insa. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, insa.com or 877-500-INSA. I think the fascinating thing 
as I was talking to these people in Buffalo this week and, and trying to dissect this Bill's offense and what are some of the things that are wrong with it, they have gotten to a point, whether you want to put it on Allen or not, they have gotten to a point with their offensive line that the smoke and mirror stuff, the, the RPO concepts, the read option plays to get their running game going, they've been incorporating more jet sweep or jet motion into their offense as well to give some more eye candy. To de- they have had Brian Dable has had to go into his bag of scheme tricks just to get any semblance of an offensive line that can run block or pass block. Right. And they've tried to protect the line because if you start running like play action, RPO, that type of stuff that usually inherently gives you more time to throw the ball down the field. Right. Cause the defense has to convert in their mind from run to pass. And that gives that hesitancy gives you a few extra uh, beats to get the ball off in the passing game. You also look at some of the things that they've done. They've put Josh Allen a lot more under center and they bootlegged him, right? Bootleg is, isn't that's number one. If you're, if you have a bad offensive line or you're trying to hide your offensive line, bootleg is always the go-to for every offensive coordinator, get the quarterback out of the pocket. And when you have a big armed guy that's athletic, like Allen, it's even more so, uh, you know, it's easier to do it, right? It's better to do it that way too. So they have had to resort to a lot of these types of schemes at a necessity because their offensive line is so bad that they need to protect it in any way, shape or form that they can. You mentioned Josh Allen running. I want to hit on that now. First and foremost, all week long, the Patriots defensive players have talked about that Allen got out too many times against them last time. So that seems like something Bill Belichick has been drilling home this week of rush lane integrity, collapsing the pocket around him instead of going out on your own and kind of going rogue a little bit to rush the quarterback. They clearly feel like they allowed him to run around a little bit too much in that last game. I, I don't think that they want that to happen again. You talk about some of the design quarterback runs, though. A lot of read option. Um, there is some straight design quarterback stuff like QB draw type of stuff that they will do as well. QB power. But I look at this game and I, I think the one thing, you know, in the past, this has given the Patriots problems, right? These option style offenses have given the pads some fits, but the difference, the, the evolution that I believe that Bill Belichick has made is Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips, right? Yeah. They, they yeah. didn't have those types of players a couple of years ago. They had Chung. Uh, but his responsibilities were were so heavily influenced by the tight end and where the tight end was going in man coverage that they didn't have as much freedom with Chung, I would say, to use him the way that they've used Phillips and Duggar. So the one, I guess, advantage that they have in this matchup, because if Allen's foot is up for it, which it looks like he's been full on the injury report all week long, he has been on the injury report, but a full participant. If his foot is up for it, running the ball 10 plus times like he did against Tampa Bay is the formula for Buffalo, right? You, you get, he's their best ball carrier period. Yeah. He's better than all the running backs they have on the team. So if they run him that much, I, I think the Patriots will have some scheme things ready for it. I think Duggar and Phillips will be a big part uh, of playing that force defender role, right. Of pushing Josh Allen back into the teeth of the defense, instead of allowing him to get out on the perimeter where he can really break off some big runs, uh, using those guys as influences on the edges to kind of force him back into the middle and keep him bottled up is probably what they're going to do. I remember last year they figured it out with Lamar, right. They were able right. to uh, mitigate Lamar. Remember Chase the Winovich middle linebacker. Yes. Yeah, so I remember I was going to bring that up. So remember the strategy was they basically played an inverted defense, right? They, in terms of the front seven, they put at edge defenders were Phillips and Duggar. And then the linebackers that they typically have at edge defender are in the middle of the field. I'm not saying they're going to put Matthew Judon at at inside linebacker, but they can put Phillips and Duggar out there, force those guys in the middle uh, and give those guys in the middle some time and help to get Allen inside. And if they get in now, if they get Allen bottled up, and you have Hightower, and I'm assuming Bentley plays in this game, and Duggar, and some of these guys that can really hit on the Patriots, and they have him dead to rights because he's not—he's a fast uh, guy for his size, and he's a physical runner, but he's not Lamar, right? He's not slippery. Right. So if they can get him bottled up and they can get some shots on him, I—if they try to run him early and Dante Hightower or Kyle Duggar lays him out, they're not going to keep running them. Right. I'm not advocating for them to hurt him. I'm just saying 
if they bring if they make him feel it and they get physical with Josh Allen when he does try to run the football, then I don't think that Brian Dable is stupid enough to keep running him because they're going to they're going to knock him out of the game at that point. The other thing, too, is and, and it kind of loose to what you just said, and this is not me advocating for an injury or anything like that. Let's not take it out of out of context. Right. But the thing about these running quarterbacks, you start to knock them around a little bit. Hey, they do still have to throw the ball and they start feeling it. Yeah, they start feeling this, and the Patriots have knocked a number of quarterbacks out of games this year. Yeah, that's and he's already been take. feeling it behind that line as it is. Right, so. he's already pretty banged up. So it, you know, yeah, I, I I think it's a fine line for the Bills, and this is this would be something that's giving me pause as I'm if I'm in Gillette and I'm helping come up with the game plan. Is all right. So they didn't run him in the first game when they probably should have. And if you remember, I came on the yeah. show. I said, you know, I get you don't want to risk your quarterback. There's sometimes you just do if he's as good of a runner as Josh Allen is. That was a spot I thought they should have done it. Tampa's a must-win game. All of a sudden, they changed their approach. So right. they're clearly willing to put him on the line physically to win a game, a must-win yeah. game, which this is. But he's already pretty banged up. Like, where's their leash with him? Right. Right. Because you could go, you could go in either extreme with the answer to that question. I think that's something that, like, that's something I'll be looking for early. Is even if it's options he's not keeping. How many opportunities are they giving him to run early on? And how many of those opportunities is he taking early on? Is right. he as willing to scramble? Is he as, is he as willing to keep the ball in the read option? Because if he is, you know, all right, buckle up, let's go. If he's not, that I think tells you about what kind of condition he's in. And maybe all of a sudden, all right, you send a blitz or two, you knock him around and then you see how he feels. Yeah, I definitely think the Patriots will go into this game. If they're going to run read option, if they're going to run Josh Allen in general, I would say that they're going to have to make it a design quarterback run where he's the only option, right? There is no option because right. if there's an option, the Patriots are going to influence him to hand the ball off. If you're going to beat us with Devin Singletary, then be my guest, right? That That's what Bill right. Belichick's going to say. So they'll keep their edge defenders at home and those guys won't collapse down on the running back and they'll give him give reads all game long if that's how they're going to play it. So the other scheme that I just wanted to mention, and I got one more thing with the Pats defense. They love that RPO glance concept, right? The RPO and then they have the slant on the on the backside usually of the play, right? They hit Gabriel Davis for a touchdown against Jalen Mills in the first matchup on the on that concept, right? They hold the linebacker level underneath, and then they get that that slant inside the outside leverage, and, and they hit it. They hit it against Carolina as well. So that's another play that the Patriots will have to be ready for that they run a ton. It are are those they run more RPOs than just about any team in the league? The only team that has run more RPO concepts this year is Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. He's uh, Josh Allen's number two at, with 74 RPOs so far this year. So look for those. Uh, look for Kyle Duggar to be a huge part of that game plan. Adrian Phillips as well to not only get in those RPO windows, but also to be able to uh, mitigate Allen when he does take off. Rush lane integrity, rush lane integrity, rush lane integrity, right? That's that's right. the name of the game for the Patriots defense and the traditional drop-back passing game. Looking at you, Matthew Judon, all right? We love you, but – Take those ears back. Just, just stay in your lane, all right? You can get after the quarterback, but stay in your lane. Well, so this is where I wonder if they – because they, they've been flexible with those guys. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Judon mostly came – off the off the left side of the defense. So yeah. Allen's right side, right? In that game. I wonder if they switch that this week. I wonder if Kyle Van Noy is on that side to more so set the edge and not let Allen escape. And they yeah. put Judon on the blind side, one, because he's on the blind side, and two, to almost incentivize Allen to roll to his soft hand. Yeah, like that's like, that, that was they did yeah. that a couple of times, and some of the breakdowns that they did on the Monday Night Football broadcast of Kyle Van Noy keeping him in the pocket was yeah. pretty much that, right? They said to Judon, "Go get him. We're gonna contain him on the front side, on his arm side, and if he rolls around his back like that, then so be it, right? You know, right. if he if he goes left, then so be it. I, I think that's a great idea. I think that we haven't seen it, and I, I wonder if this is a Matthew Judon thing that he doesn't love doing it." But putting Judon in the middle is not a terrible idea this week either, uh, allowing him to rush, 
over the center or over the guard, kind of like how they've used Dante Hightower in the past. Right. Might not be a terrible idea either because he's probably not going to escape up the middle of the pocket, right? It's probably going to be either to the left or his right. Right. So if you could do that, that's an interesting strategy as well. But you're right. The one time that he got out uh, on truly got out was that 21 yard scramble. It was man coverage. Right. Patriots pinned their ears back. They played man in the back end. They didn't have a spy or anything like that. And as soon as he saw man, he took off. He didn't even look down the field to, to throw the football. Judon was, was rushing. Like Judon was rushing to his right, right? He was rushing on his arm side. Yeah. Judon tried to come around the edge. He got caught upfield too far, opened up the lane for Allen. So you're right. Maybe, maybe they leave him on the left side pretty much the entire game. And also my I we talked about this earlier. No Deion Dawkins potentially in this game for Buffalo. Right. They're starting left tackle. Last week, Spencer Brown played left tackle for them, flipping over from the right side to the left side. It was an absolute disaster. Multiple penalties, multiple pressures. Brian Burns had his way with him. It was it was ugly, especially in the first half. Uh, Brian Burns really ate his lunch money. So I, I think that that's an opportunity for the Patriots there as well. Last thing here about the Patriots' defense. Well. Oh, yeah, about the defense, then I have one more point. It kind of goes to that last point, but whatever. Yeah, we can wrap it up on that. Man coverage. Last time out, the Patriots played 14 of Allen's 30 pass attempts were against man coverage. It was definitely not a game plan I was expecting from them. The blueprint going in was playing zone against Allen, especially too high zone was the way to go. Cover two, quarters, things like that. The Patriots played a ton of man-to-man, especially in high leverage situations, third down, two minute, that type of thing. Do we expect to see as much man-to-man as they saw last time? I mean, they don't have Cole Beasley, right? So there's one less guy to match up on. You right. could go JC on Diggs, obviously, Mills on Davis, or you could go the old route of JC on Davis with double-teaming Stephon Diggs with Jalen Mills, right? You could kind of go either way with that. Uh I wonder if this is a throwback game where they go the, with the number two on the number one with help and JC on Davis. Cause last time out J- Jalen Mills did have some trouble with Gabriel Davis, right? He got the yeah. touchdown on him. Uh, he got open a couple of other times. So maybe they go with that a little bit more this week, but do you think we see as much man coverage this time around, or do they go with the blueprint that other teams have succeeded with against Buffalo and play more zone? Yeah, I, I think you'll see some man. I think it's mostly zone. Honestly, I wonder if, you know, I, I kind of spent this whole show and I spent this whole week shooting down things being because of the wind. Yeah, I think the heavy man coverage was because of the wind, simply yeah. because if there's an underthrown ball, you're in better position to pick it off and man the zone. Yeah, and also I think just making him throw the ball down the field outside the numbers against right, man right. coverage in those conditions was better off than letting him just pick you apart in zone in the middle of the field. I, I think the man zone split, uh, that I'll attribute significantly to wind. I think yeah. you see more... Or even a mix where it's, and I, I forget the technical term for this, and this is where you're so much better at this stuff than me. JC, man up on Stefan Diggs, and then the rest of it's zone. Yeah, like a Mabel. So, yeah, they, yeah. they've done some of that before. It, you know, Seattle. I don't know if they, have they done it with Jackson? I know they used to do it with Gilmore. I don't know if Not as much. Jackson. I mean, it's essentially the NFL's version of box and one, right? You know, you right. got your guy, and we got the rest of the of the field is basically the the mantra there. Right. Uh they haven't done it as much. Seattle did it a ton back in the day with Richard Sherman. They called it cover three Mabel. Sherman would be locked on the X on the X receiver on the backside. He, that was his guy, right? He was right. taking the X. Everybody else was worried about everybody else. So they could do some of that. I, I agree with you though that the win influenced that game plan a lot in terms of the man coverage. I expect a lot more zone coverage in this game this time around. And um was a lot. Of, all right. So we've talked a lot about the Patriots playing more zone this year. Uh, Matt Bowen just tweeted out just a percentage of coverages, right? Cover one, cover two, cover three, that sort of thing. The Patriots are still second in the league and in cover one usage. They're playing cover one over 40% of the time. So as much as we've discussed, Oh, the Patriots are playing more zone this year, right? They're still right at the top of the league and how much they play cover one man, right? They're still right there. So that's always going to be Belichick's bread and butter. They, they go to that most of the time on third down. Even sometimes they've played a little bit of two on third down, uh, but for the most part, they play a cover one man on third. Uh, It gives them more flexibility. I think in the pass rush too, which is what I think Bill likes about it is you can blitz, you can play robber. You know, there's different things that you can do there um, with some of the flexibility in the box. What was the last thing you wanted to bring up? 
So actually two quick points, one relating to the game, one not. Um, first off, we're going to see, and, and you talking about Judon playing in the middle made me think of this. This is the kind of game where Bill brings out something new. Yeah. We're going to see them do something this week, whether it's on offense, it's on defense, maybe special teams. Like they're going to do something that's a significant departure from what they've been doing. And yeah. I like, again, maybe it's, and I guess it's in departure, but like, whether it's Jacoby throwing a pass or Judon rushing up the middle, whatever it is, Mabel, like, I think they're going to, this is the kind of game where, you know, they, uh, they have something they've been cooking up for weeks. It's been behind the scenes that they're working on a practice that they're not putting on tape because they're saving it for the right moment. This yeah. is the moment, right? This Michael is the moment. Touching a pass. Yeah. Honestly, like yeah. Michael and when tackle eligible, we talked about how maybe yeah. that was the call last week when he falls started. Yeah. Um, great opera, great opportunity, great game for something like that. Yeah. The, uh, my other point is just to move on from the game pro bowl. Yeah. Awesome for JC Jackson. Should have yeah. got his first last year. Um, they should rename the Pro Bowl the Matthew Slater postseason football invitational exhibition or whatever. Just name it at like I don't know. Is there a Pro Bowl MVP trophy? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an offensive and defensive MVP at the Pro Bowl sometimes. Okay, Although, well that's, I, that's a defensive MVP at the Pro Bowl is ironic, but yeah, that's 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 not an that's not a thing. Yeah. That's I'm I'm trying to look right here, but um and uh, you are right. All right. Well, it's time to add a special teams MVP and name it the Matthew Slater Trophy. Um, and then who who am I missing? Who did I forget? Matthew, oh, Matthew, Matthew Judon. Duh. Matthew yes. Judon. Duh. Patriots only team in the league with two players named Matthew in the Pro Bowl. They didn't. So there's two guys I think that they really missed on. Nick yeah. Polk should have made it. Nick yeah. Polk didn't make it because Justin Tucker's name has more brand value. Yeah. That is, and, and Justin no. Tucker is awesome. Let's be. Let's Nick Polk's been better. Nick Folk's been better this year by uh, just about any measure. Nick Folk has been, been a better kicker this he's year. Been, right. He's been he's missed less kicks. Is that the he's he's attempted more, he's missed less, uh, and he's kicked in tougher environments. Than okay, Justin so Tucker. Justin Tucker won won the Pro Bowl nomination when he hit that 66 yard in game a winner. Dome. In a dome. But that's what won it for him. And you in know. a dome. What was it? What was your you had um, one more? The right? other guy they missed on, I think, is Devin McCourty. And yeah. maybe it's because he had kind of a rough game against the Colts, but yeah. I think outside of that Houston game, which was, as he said, you know, kind of the worst, I think he called it the worst game he's ever played. Yeah. Um, outside of that, Devin McCourty has been excellent this year. And when you look at all the new pieces on defense, he's really the guy coordinating that. And I know Hightower is a part of it, but even he didn't play last year. Um, I attribute so much of the defensive success this year, the number one defense in football. I attribute so much of that success to Devin McCourty. And I know that players don't get selected to the pro bowl, off of what they do, you know, in leadership or making plays away from the ball, which is a lot of what Devin McCourty does. But I, you know, he's been here for, for over a decade now. I think this is one of the best seasons he's ever played. I, I thought he deserved that recognition. I'm not surprised he didn't get it again, the, the way the, the Devin selection goes, but he's been real. I just, I just want to point that out. Like he's been so freaking good this year. Yeah. The, the, the problem with Devin McCourty getting pro bowl votes at this point is that, you really need to pay attention and watch the film or be like us exactly. and be degenerate about it because he doesn't influence a ton of plays, right? All the guys that make the Pro Bowl in the defensive backfield are guys that get their hands on the ball, right? Exactly. Interceptions, yeah. pass breakups, the guys that are around the football a lot. But he, his role so much of the time is just to provide that help in the middle of the field. And, and be that leverage for for deep post overs, you know, go balls, things like that. And he's not around the ball a ton. So it's hard to see him on the TV screen at all times. So it's really something that if Pro Bowl voters went out and watched the all 22 of all these games, which they're not going to do, it's impossible to do. I can't do it either. Right. Like I'm not holding it against them. But if Pro Bowl voters actually did that, or all Pro voters, they would see how much of an influence Devin McCourty has on the game. Really tough position to break into. Uh, the offensive guard position in the AFC, you have Quentin Nelson going to make the Pro Bowl every single year. Automatic, right? right? It's like Joe Thomas, right? He's going to make it every year. Uh, Wyatt Teller, Joel Petonio, three of the best guards in football all in the AFC. But Shaq Mason had another stellar year. One sack allowed so far in pass protection, always near the top of the of the league in run blocking, right? One of the best run blocker guards in the entire league every single year. Uh, he's not going to break into that Pro Bowl conversation because the competition at that spot is really, really steep in the conference. Right. But he's somebody that I think deserves some more recognition as well. Um, that about does it, I think. I think we, 
we touched on everything we wanted to touch on. Uh, Alex and I will be at the game. I'll be at the game, Alex. I'm so excited. I'm I'll so bummed. I, I was hoping you were going to have to buy a ticket. What? <laughs> so for those that, that didn't know, I didn't want to lead with this. I, I had a false positive COVID test this week. And luckily, I, I've been cleared. I'm good to go. I tested negative on three different tests now. So uh, I'm all in the clear and it, it happened to be a false positive. It actually happened to me and, and uh, quite a few of the reporters down there this week got, got nabbed with false positives. But uh, there was a point in time this week on Wednesday afternoon where I was uh, in my feelings with, with Alex about how I wasn't going to be allowed to go to this game on Sunday. And, and I was sending him stub hub listings. Yeah, like, you, I, I, and yeah. you never answered me. Like you, you would have worn a Jersey, right? I don't know. I would have my binoculars out there, though. You can have your binoculars. That's fine. I'm like, you can't show up in a college. Like, please tell me you would not have shown up in a college shirt. I, I might have because I might have still done videos in the parking lot afterwards. All right. So you that. change out of your jersey. And you put your, <laughs> like, what do you think I do when I work games from home? You take the jersey off. You put the polo on. It's not that hard. Yeah, it was a bizarre day. That's for sure. It took a lot of twists and turns. But as we started to figure out that all of us were testing negative on those at-home rapid tests. We were like, something's fishy going on here, right? I mean, the positivity rate was was high anyway, you know, for that many, that pool of people, for that many people to all test positive on one day was a little bit outside the box anyways, even with uh, Omicron and all everything that's going on. Luckily, I didn't have to do that. But I, when you sent me the StubHub thing, I really thought about buying a ticket. I was close. Because I knew I was, I had already known at that point that I was, I was negative. I just wasn't sure if I was going to get cleared by the team to sit in the press box. So anyways, crisis averted, everything's fine. So Alex and I will be uh, in Gillette Stadium on Sunday afternoon. It is very weird. This is a one o'clock game. It feels like it's going to be a primetime game that I'm going to show up uh, for uh, an eight eight o'clock kick, but it's not. It's a 1 p.m. kickoff. Follow Alex on 98.5thesportshub.com. He's all over 98.5 this week. He's yeah. about to tell me that he's too big time to do the podcast <laughs> with me. I, I know that. Uh, Alex, when, when are you going to be on the Sports Hub again? Yeah, well, so I was on uh, Zolak and Bertrand today, all four hours. You can find those on 98.5thesportshub.com. We did a lot of Patriots talk um, in addition to just so many people from my high school calling in. That was wonderful. Um, I'll be on Felgren Maz tomorrow, 2 to 6, with Matt McCarthy. Uh, Monday morning after the game, I'm on with, I believe it's Tim McCone, 6 to 10 a.m., Tucker and Rich Slot. I'll be on Tuesday as well with Tim McCone. Uh, I'm on Thursday evening with Ty Anderson, 6 to 10 p.m., and then we'll get you ready for the Jags game, New Year's Day, 4.30 to 6 uh, on, uh, with, I think I said with Ty Anderson. So, yeah, come and find me. I'll be, uh, I'll be on your radio. All I'll over. be on your TV, not that far away. See, when other people take vacations, Alex Barth is there, right? He is, he is putting in the work this you week. You ever heard of Wally Pitt? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of times, you know, I tell people this all, we, not that, not that I'm not complaining about my job whatsoever. We love what we do. We don't get Christmas and new year's when you, when you cover a football team, you, that doesn't exist. Right. I mean, there's no, there's no, sometimes you get lucky, you know, the Patriots haven't played on Thanksgiving in a while. So usually Thanksgiving's a day that, that you get, but Christmas and new year's it's, Never a day that, that we get. So uh, that's not a problem, though. We, we love nope. what we do, as I said. So Alex and I will be back on the podcast. Uh, what are we going to do uh, Tuesday next week? Probably Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, Tuesday next week uh, to recap this game against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Jags. We're not going to overlook the Jags, but we'll maybe take some questions as well uh, in the second half of the preview show if you guys want to come uh, on uh, Thursday or Friday next week on the preview show. We'll talk some Jags for probably the first 30 minutes or so. Try to stretch it out as much as we can. Then we'll take some of your questions at the end. So a uh, Tuesday recap show, end of the week, uh, Jags preview slash Q&A. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for watching. Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas, uh, whatever you celebrate. Hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you guys Tuesday.